the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Simple Truth Moments, hosted by Reverend Earl Clampett of Simple Truth Ministries, a weekly show dedicated to excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. Good morning, San Diego Saints. I am your host, Reverend Earl Clampett. Welcome to Simple Truth Moments, a unique type of broadcast with the goal to prepare the body of Christ for the momentous times in which we find ourselves. This program serves as a kingdom training platform, challenging church tradition, not with hostility, but with a view to assess the biblical validity of what is taught and lived. So put on your seatbelt for an enlightening journey of cultural context and a fresh way to more thoroughly comprehend the kingdom ways of God. Good morning, San Diego Saints. Welcome back. We have been doing a rather uh, challenging and enlightening uh, series of answering the question of what is our biblical identity as Jewish, I'm sorry, as Gentile believers um, in a Jewish Messiah, and uh, what are we called? What's our title? What's our identity? And for the last four shows, we have been answering this. um, I'm not going to go through a review today, but I am going to send you over to some challenging areas in Scripture that I haven't heard much teaching on in, in the Gentile churches um, because there are a lot of uh, Hebrew references and, and Jewish names and Jewish titles that we are given as Gentile believers in this Jewish Messiah called, his name is, yes, we know him as Jesus Christ of Nazareth, but um in Jewish context, his title is Jewish, um, well, I'm just to say to start off, Yeshua is his Jewish name, which means he saves, and HaMashiach, uh, Ha is the Hebrew word for the, and Mashiach is Messiah, so Jesus the Messiah, and Mashiach in that sense means uh, anointed one, and that's what Christ means in Greek, anointed one. But I'm going to send you to the last probably four podcasts um, right here on KPRZ. You can go to kprz.com and click over to the podcast section and check those shows out. Um, Also, on my website, which is www.simpletruthministries.net, And you can go over to the media page. It's a pull-down menu. Click on the media page, and then you'll see um, one of the items that come down is podcasts. And you can click onto um, those podcasts uh, that were basically recorded here at KPRZ, and uh, we move them over to uh, that additional location where you can also access those earlier shows. But just to give you a little sampling of where we've been, we have gone through Ephesians uh, chapters 2 and 3, which was um, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, explaining um, what this one new man, uh, both Jew and Gentile, in the Messiah is all about, what it looks like, what it's supposed to sound like, what it's supposed to accomplish, what is it supposed to um, direct itself towards in the concept of spiritual warfare, of kingdom versus kingdom. Uh, it's not some cute little thing that people say, oh, wouldn't it be nice that everyone just got along? It's way, way more deep than that because Paul calls it a mystery um, in our English. For example, my New King James Version has the mystery of one new man, one new humanity in Christ. Uh, the Complete Jewish Bible by David Stearns calls it a secret plan, God's secret plan. And in essence, it's a secret plan. When you think about it, it's a strategy. 
It's a wartime strategy on how to take on um, the invasion of a spiritual rebellion, fallen angel kingdom headed up by the adversary. His name in Hebrew is Hasatan. Ha again being the word the. Satan is the word for adversary. And we studied in Ephesians chapter 3 that this bringing together of Jew and Gentile as one unit, one new humanity, uh, what joins us together is um, the fact that we have a mutual Messiah. We also have a mutual Father that this Messiah told us about in the Lord's Prayer. We also have a mutual enemy, which is the adversary, which wants to take both groups down. So this is serious stuff, and it's not um, just a wish list or wouldn't it be nice type of approach. This is God being very serious, where he says he wants to bring Jew and Gentile together, uh, in essence, to put on display to the powers and principalities. This is in Ephesians chapter 3, the manifold wisdom of God. Manifold is a $25 word that just simply means many-sided, the many-sided wisdom of God. And God is all about retaking lost territory. We lost our inheritance, as we've said in other shows in Genesis chapter 3. Our inheritance was given to us in Genesis 1 and 2. Man was supposed to um, rule, steward, tend, and to keep and to oversee the material creation. That was our responsibility. That was the authority that God gave. And we've said this in other shows that uh, Satan was not happy about the fact that he was a powerful angel. In Ezekiel 28, it talks about him as being so close to the throne at some earlier time that he was one of the covering cherubs. That's how close he was to to God, and it still wasn't good enough for him. He still had to go and start a spiritual rebellion against God. And a picture of the covering cherub, you can see that when you study the furnishings of the the tabernacle of Moses, the seven furnishings, and the last two of of seven, number, number six and number seven is the Ark of the Covenant, um, and on top of the ark is the mercy seat, and the mercy seat was uh, covered by two cherubim. And it's said by experts who study Scripture that Satan could have been, before the rebellion, one of those two cherubs that is referred to in Ezekiel chapter 28, beginning at verse 14. Go ahead and check that out. Read that for yourselves. And we've talked about the fact that there's this obsession about what is the destiny of these human beings that were created in Genesis 1 and 2. The angels are longing to look into the answer to this question. What is God going to do with this spiritual rebellion that he has on his hand? Began as we've said, in heaven, check, check out uh, Isaiah chapter four, uh, 14, and starting at verse 12, the rebellion began in heaven, and it was later transferred down to the material creation, to earth. So man did not start out as a problem that God had on his hands. Man in the beginning uh, was not the challenge or the problem that defied God's authority or defied God's um, omnipotence as Father Creator. Everything was great in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Things were working smoothly. Things were operating. Go back and read Genesis 2. It's, It's really kind of fun to watch and to read and to take in because you're thinking, 
um, there's a wonderful relationship between Father God and his human children. And everything's just it's like a perfect uh, automobile just running where you say everything's hitting on all fours or all sixes or all eights. Um, and it's only after this spiritual rebellion that begins in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 that comes down to earth and that unfortunately mankind through fraud and deceit handed over his authority over to this rebellious angel so that he could operate with his residual power that he still had left over after the fall, still retained some power, but he couldn't operate in the material creation until he combined his residual power with something called authority. Authority is legal permission to use power. Power is the capacity to carry something out. But authority is more important in many ways than power because it's the legal permission to use it. And Satan knew very well before the fall of mankind that God was not going to give him any authority over the material creation. That he reserved for man. Mankind was to be the authorized, legally permitted steward over the earth, every aspects of the earth. And so here we are. A lot of people think that we're living in the last days and things have never been more chaotic. It's almost like the beginning of that uh, novel, um, Tale Two Cities. This was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. You can almost say that about the times in which we are now uh, living. And we're becoming more aware that manifestations, physical manifestations all around us, are really um, results, consequences of the spiritual warfare that's going on all around us, that we're not supposed to be oblivious to. We're supposed to be aware that uh, we're not just uh, a body. We're not just a soul, which is our mind, our will, our emotions. But we are also, there's a third element to us as created sons and daughters of God. We also have a spirit. And unfortunately, um, our church system does not teach very deeply, if at all, how to operate in that spiritual system, how to be effective in that spiritual context. We don't teach that. And we need to because the spiritual world, especially the, the opposing, the opposition, the rebellion in the spiritual world is manifesting more and more, and people don't know what to do about it. People don't know where to turn. And in many cases, I'm not saying across the board 100%, I'm not saying that at all, but unfortunately in too many cases, our churches are not prepared to address those questions. And that's why we, on this show, are talking about something that Jesus Christ himself preached, that John the Baptist announced ahead of time, that Isaiah the prophet uh, prophesied about that was coming. It's something called the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus brought. The gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is something very different than what we typically teach in Gentile churches. Kingdom refers, as we see in the Lord's Prayer, that's something that's more akin to an order of things, or in other words, a government of things. And a kingdom can be a location, it can be a place, but places really aren't the emphasis. The power that comes from the governmental order of things. 
And Satan has a rebellious government that is contrary and antithetical to the government of Father God, their creator. And there's been a rebellion that has manifested on the earth ever since Genesis chapter 3. Things have been a mess. When man stopped doing Thy will be done on earth. When we have stopped doing that, things grew chaotic. We had frenzy instead of order. We had chaos instead of placement. We had basically craziness instead of peace and rest in God. Do we even know what that means? Jesus talked a lot about peace. He said, um, my peace I, I give to you, my peace I leave with you. This is not how the world can, uh, identifies or understands peace at all. This is a spiritual peace that transcends the material. And people are looking for peace in a crazy, chaotic world where the wheels seem to be coming off the car in every aspect, in every dimension. And this is, a, in a way, it's an awesome time to be doing evangelism, but evangelism of the right message, the biblical message, which is, it's called the gospel of the kingdom, of God's government, God's order. That's what people want. And a lot of times, you know, we are so rebellious and say, well, I don't want anyone telling me what to do. Well, fine. Go live your life and then come back in a little while. Let's see how things worked out with you in charge. Man's been trying that ever since Genesis chapter 3. How have things worked out? How have things panned out as using a, an old gold mining term? How have things panned out for you? So... Getting back to these different identities that we receive from God as born-again believers, I'm just going to go over real quickly with you that we learned from Ephesians 2 and 3 and from Galatians 2 and 3 and from Romans chapter 8, terms like um, (laughs) something that probably we never really thought of, that we are being built into a foundation of the Hebrew apostles and prophets, and we're being built into a whole temple, H-W-H-O-L-E, a holy temple, and we're coming and being built into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Um, we are told that we are part of the commonwealth of Israel in Ephesians chapter 2. Again, go back to the earlier shows. I'm just going to go over these very quickly. We are told that we're fellow citizens with our Jewish cousins, our Jewish brothers and sisters. It also says in that same Ephesians chapter 2, it says we're members of the household of God. And then it starts talking about in Ephesians chapter 3, we're joint heirs as members of the household of God. Heirs, H-E-I-R-S, with our Jewish brothers and sisters. And, and then it talks in Galatians 3 how Gentiles, when we come to Christ, when we come to a, a relationship of trust, of dependence, of faith in Christ, we become sons of Abraham because of a covenant that happened way back between a former Gentile who became a Jew, and his name is not Abram anymore, but Abraham, which means father of many nations, a blessing to many nations. And again, the word nations is critical there because there are only two groups of people in the Bible. There's the Jews slash Hebrews, and then there are people of the nations, which are called in Hebrew, goyim, and in English, Gentiles. There's only two groups of people. And in verse uh, 7 of Galatians 3, we're called sons of Abraham. 
How many Gentiles go around and call themselves sons of Abraham? Because we're going to receive the blessings of Abraham, which happens to be because of of Abraham's relationship with God, of Abraham's relationship of trust, of belief, of faith, of dependence. He received the blessing, which was with the, verse 14 says, it's the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Um, we are also, as you travel down in Galatians 3, we're the seed of Abraham. We're his seed. And you say, well, no, I'm a Gentile. Does, <laughs> he's talking to Gentiles when Paul wrote this letter. This is probably the most Gentile of all the epistles because um, the, church of the, Galatia, the church of the Galatians was a Gentile church. And it says when we're in union with the Messiah, we are children of Father God through the same type of faith that Abraham exhibited. And it says the whole point of this coming together is that there is no Jew or Gentile in Messiah Jesus. There is no slave nor free in Messiah Jesus. There is no male and female in Messiah Jesus. This is in uh, verse 28. And in union with Messiah, he says, you are all one. That's what brings you together, because Jesus is knocking down the wall of enmity, the wall of hostility between these two groups. And it says, if you belong to, this is verse 29 in Galatians 3, if you belong to the Messiah, if you belong to Jesus, if you are Christ, as it says in the New King James, that's Christ with an apostrophe S. So in other words, if you belong to Christ, you are the seed of Abraham, heirs according to the promise. Now, last week, we talked about what does this mean, heirs? And we spent a lot of time in Romans chapter 8, especially verses um, 16 through, um, I'm sorry, verses 14 through 17, where we are called sons of God. And if we're sons of God, because of this relationship with Christ, we are children of God. And if we're children, we are heirs of God. And it goes on to the next one. If we are heirs, in verse 17, we are joint heirs. Joint heirs. Common heirs with Christ. And we talked about what that means in Psalm 2, verses 7 through 9, and Psalm 115, 16. Jesus was inheriting from his Father the nations and the earth. Check out Psalm 2, verses 7 through 9. And if you look at Psalm 115, verse 16, it says, The heavens, even the heavens, belong to the Lord, but the earth God gave to the children of men. We are so oriented to leaving earth and just writing it off, writing it off as a lost cause, and just so I can get out of this earth and get up to the sweet by and by. That's, gen- that's Gentile Ju- Greek thinking. That's, that's Greek religion, Greek philosophy, Greek ideology of the Plato's and the Aristotle's and the Socrates. It was all about getting out of this human body, leaving this corrupt earth, and going up and being perfected into the, into the ethereal world. That's not the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is about returning back to earth to get back what was lost in Genesis chapter 3. What we lost was our relationship with our Father, and therefore we spiritually died because we were separated from him, and we lost our authority over the earth, our power over the earth. We gave it away for free <laughs> through, a, through a promise that we were supposed to become more like God. That's what the, the snake was telling Eve, and the irony of that was Eve was already in the likeness of God before she was tempted with this lie. Boy, that hurts when you realize that. That really hurts. So on the other side of the break, we're going to be talking about other titles that you have and other goals of God for your destinies. We're going to broaden this, what are your titles your biblical identities. See you after the break. God bless. Did you 
know that the Simple Truth Moment Show features a website where you can access previous podcasts of the Simple Truth Moment Show. Also, previous radio shows, sermons, lectures, sponsored events, books, and publications, along with the blogs by the author and broadcaster, Reverend Earl Clampett of the Simple Truth Moment Show. Just type in www.simpletruthministries.net and click onto the media page and the book publications page. You will learn so much more on how the kingdom of God ways are impacting our current Gentile church culture to rediscover our Hebrew covenant roots and God's blueprint plans to bring together both Jew and Gentile into one new humanity in Messiah Jesus and Father God. It will be a life-changing journey you will not soon forget. So type in www.simpletruthministries.net. It's not .org. It's not .com. Remember .net. God bless. Welcome back, San Diego Saints. This is going to be a half hour, seatbelts mandatory. We're going to expand um, the number of titles, number of identities that you are given as believers with, of a faith relationship in Jesus Christ. And um, we're going to expand on that. Um, I want to go over to... Some of these are going to be dealing in the future. Some of these are in are present. Um, but these are, I'm not going to talk too much about the um, children of God and heirs of God. We covered that pretty much in um, last week's show in Romans 8, uh, chapter 16 to 17. And, uh, or I'm sorry, Romans 8, verses 16 through 17. And uh, basically where it says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. So we covered that um, in last week's show. Uh, Go back and check out that podcast uh, when we talk about Psalms, um, the second Psalms, verses 7 and 8, and also Psalm uh, 115, verse 16. Um, and also we talk about the second temptation of Christ about that as well. It's funny that um, the two leaders of the two kingdoms that are battling understand what the goals are, and we can see that in the second temptation of Christ. We don't understand that. They do. They understand what the prize is. The prize is the earth and the nations of the earth. That's what the battle was over and still continues to this day. So I want to go to... uh, some future um, titles that we're going to be getting in addition to all of the other um, identities uh, that we've talked about in the last four weeks. And um, one of them is what we call um, priests, kings and priests. Now, Jesus had both of those roles uh, because of his inheritance. And this goes all the way back to uh, Melchizedek, and and his Davidic role comes all the way f- back to the uh, Abrahamic covenant, and especially the Davidic co- covenant uh, regarding his status as a king. David, of course, was king, and there was a covenant uh, that was made with David. And though, by the way, all of those covenants in the Old Testament, um, they are coming to life. <laughs> here and now, Um, and for example, the covenants that were made with the patriarchs, with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, those covenants are still alive and well. They have not changed. And Jesus made it pretty clear in in the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew 5, 17, he said, hey, I didn't come to do away with the, the law and the covenants. I came to fulfill them. Do we as Gentiles really know what that means when he says, I've come to fulfill the covenants? In other words, he's basically saying, based on Psalm 42 and Psalm 47, he says, I am the new covenant. The Father tells him that. He actually says, I believe it in Isaiah 42, he says, you are the new covenant. So we need to understand covenants are not ordinary contracts. They're not ordinary agreements. They're, of course, contain promises. But because of God's nature, 
and his, and his faithfulness. He intends on fulfilling these covenants. And if we don't understand how those covenants are violated or how they're uh, completed or how they're fulfilled uh, as Gentiles because nobody ever taught us, we need to get educated on that real fast. And my website is one way to do it. I've written a lot about that um, in books, and I highly suggest you may want to take a look at the, uh, the book called The Blueprint, that came out in 2016. The question was, is the Bible a uh, Hebrew uh, circular cyclical design, or is the Bible a Greek linear straight line design? And you may think that is a somewhat uh, trite question, uh, a trivial question on how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. Um, to the contrary, how we live our lives depends on how we view the Bible, either through the Hebrew lens or through a Gentile Greek lens. So I encourage you to check that out. And also the other book is uh, called Homecoming, how uh, both Jew and Gentile are being brought together um, to, to in Abba Father as one new man. And so that is something that's happening in our contemporary times right now. And we have to understand family in a different way. We have to understand um, commonwealth and governmental things in a different way. And we have to understand kingdom. See, I mean, we have a constitutional republic. Um, Some people call it a democracy. It's really not a pure democracy in in the Grecian sort of way. It's a federal republic. And um, as so, it's representational government. And um, we don't have a lot of experience with monarchies and kings and how kingdoms rule because actually (laughs) we rebelled against uh, a monarchy. I believe it was King George. Um, I'm trying to think if it was the fourth or the sixth. But we rebelled against a monarchy. Um, But when we're talking about kings in the context of, of the spiritual world of the kingdom of God, we know that God has a king he assigned, who happens to be his son, who is very man of very man, but he's also very God of very God, and he's not bringing democracy to this world. He's not concerned about human rights as much as he is doing... The question is, are we doing the Father's will? I mean, that is the key to the kingdom of God. So let's go to this next designation that we can see in Revelations uh, chapter 5, verse 10. We Gentiles are going to be made both priests and kings in a kingdom context. Check out Revelation 5, verse 10. Actually, and you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to go back to a couple of more earlier verses to give you a letter, little better context, because I have a one-liner here, and I know it's more like a three-liner. So let's go to Revelation 5, starting at verse 9. Again, this is um, from the book of Revelation. John the Apostle wrote this. This is about end times. 5, 9, Revelation 5, verse 9, starts and says, And they sang a new song, saying, Again, they're talking, they're worshiping the Lamb, worshiping Jesus. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, the Y in you is a capital Y, and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Now notice it didn't say have redeemed us to heaven. Heaven is not the goal of the Judeo-Christian walk. Union with God is the goal. We really need to re, reorient our thinking on that. Heaven's wonderful. I'm not anti-heaven, but it's not the goal. The goal is to get back into union with God. So notice in uh, Revelations 5, 9, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Now, check out verse 10. This is one that you need to be sitting down <laughs> because you probably weren't taught this either, and have made us kings and priests, they're both plural, to our God, 
Now check out where this kingship and this priesthood is going to operate. The last line of verse 10 of Revelation 5. Underline this. And we shall reign on the earth. Everybody get that? It didn't say we shall reign in heaven. It says we shall reign on the earth. God is into restoration. He's into the restoration of all things, the restitution of all things. It's a story of the return. In Hebrews, it's called Teshuvah. It's it's a story of coming back. It's a story of the prodigal child who had a ruptured relationship with the father, but the father welcomes him, welcomes him back and basically says, you're, you're a member of the family still. Puts you know, the, the royal robe on him, kills the fatted calf, welcomes him back with an embrace. The Bible is a family reunion story. But, but here are two more titles that you may not have considered that God is training you for in this walk while we're here on this earth in this lifetime. He has made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. It didn't say on or in heaven, okay? Now, let's go, we'll stay with the book of Revelation. Let's go over to Revelation verse 20, verse 6. And... Let me go there in the New King James, Revelation 20, verse 6. <clears throat> okay, this talks about end times, and it says, and I th- this, I'll start at verse 4 for some, for some context. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Now, this them, who's the them? You remember what we just re- uh, read in Revelations verse 5, kings and priests. And then I saw the souls of who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, and who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Okay? Now, Let's move on. Verse 5, But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Now check this out in verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. And they shall be, here it is, priests of God and of Christ, and they shall reign with him a thousand years. There it is. All right, so we're talking about a kingdom that's returning. It's not thy kingdom go in the Lord's present, uh, um, it's not in the Lord's prayer. It's all about thy kingdom coming to earth, all right? All right, you ready for the next one? So you're not just going to be a priest and a king and going to be back on earth and ruling with Christ for a thousand years. But you're also labeled in Revelation um, 19, the bride of the Lamb. The bride of the Lamb. So let's go to Revelations 19, verse 7. And it says, I'll just start 19.5, give you a little bit of... um, context here. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, uh, all you servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, the sound of many waters and the sound of many thunderings, saying, alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. I want to take you back, talking about marriage, um, 
to one of the parables that Jesus taught in um, Matthew 25, and it was called the um, the parable of the virgins, the ten virgins, virgins, I should say. And let me just read this out of um, the New King James. Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, what did we just finish reading? We just finished reading in Revelation 19, the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Some versions say his wife. but uh, In the New King James, it's bride. So, see how many... As we read Matthew 25, see how many references to getting married and weddings there are, okay? So we'll start again, verse uh, 1 of Matthew 25. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Again, bridegroom is coming. Okay, pick that up, verse 6. Verse 7. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. Verse 8, And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Verse 9, But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy... This is in verse 10. The bridegroom arrived. The bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in to, or with him, I'm sorry. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. Verse 11. After the other virgins, virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Verse 12. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Verse 13, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Notice it didn't say the Son of Man is going. <laughs> 14, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man... Okay, now that's, that's the next verse, going on the talents. We're just going to stick with the bridegroom and the virgins, and the wedding here. They missed their chance because they were not prepared. And so we're talking about the bride of the Lamb, and the question is, will she be prepared? Will she be ready when the bridegroom arrives? This is intimate stuff. This is the father saying, I want to assure that my son gets married. And who are the virgins with either the oil or the lack of oil? We're not only talking about relationship with the father, we're talking about relationship with the son. And again, this is in a family context. We see in the Lord's Prayer, The father has certain roles, and the son has certain roles. And we see here that we, in these verses in Revelations 19 and these verses in Matthew 25, we have a role. And here you can add this to the long list of everything else we have discussed over the last four weeks. You can now add what we talked about today, priests and kings, and now add to that list Bless the bride of the Lamb. Let's go on to the next one. This is one that 
is near and dear to my heart. Um, when I ask people, do you realize that part of what you're being trained for is ultimately to be a judge in the kingdom of God? People just kind of kind of look cross-eyed and say, huh, what? What are you talking about? And it's just, this is not a verse that's talked about very much because I don't think the church knows what to do with it, but it's there, and we need to discuss it. Paul, in first in the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verses 2 and 3, let me read that to you here in the uh, New King James. I'm going to give you some context here. Um, Paul was frustrated because the um, congregants in the church of Corinth were not handling things well. Um, they couldn't really um, address when they had conflicts uh, between um, themselves um, in the church, and they were asking people outside of the church to become uh, judges or mediators or arbitrators to make those determinations. And so I want to... I want to just go back to uh, 1 Corinthians 5, and um, he says, For what, this is Paul writing to the church of Corinth, for what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? Question mark. Verse 13, but those who are outside, God judges, therefore put away, put away from yourselves the evil person. Now, notice in verse, uh, we're going to start in um, chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. Dare any of you, having a matter, go against another? Go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? In other words, they were taking their disputes in the church to people outside the church for resolution. So Paul is frustrated with this. Now, notice in verse 2 of chapter 6 of Corinthians, he says, now, there's a little bit of tonality here that you almost have to listen to, where Paul's kind of shocked he, that the Corinthians do not know this. And he says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Question mark. Well, the bottom line was the people in the church members in Corinth did not know that. And if they had, they probably wouldn't have been taking their disputes to outsiders. But it's interesting that this isn't the future tense when Paul asks this question. He asks it, and he says, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you ever picture yourself as a judge? And if the, I'm going to go on now. We'll finish verse 2. And if the world will be judged, this is future tense, by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? In other words, he's saying judge the disputes in the church amongst yourselves. But what's more important that I want you to focus on is the future tense. And if the world will be judged by you. So he's answering, in essence, the question he asked in the earlier part of verse 2 of chapter 6 of First Corinthians, he says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? He's frustrated. You can hear it in his, the, the manner in which he's asking the question. He says, you guys are going to the wrong people to get these disputes taken care of. All right. Now, if that wasn't earth-shaking enough about one of your future titles, and what you're being trained for in this current life of ours. Check the next verse out in verse 3 of chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. This is definitely put on your seatbelts on this one. Do you not know that we shall judge angels? Were you ready for that? When I first saw that, I thought, wow, I was never taught that as a Catholic. I was never taught that as a Protestant. But here it is. This is a Jewish rabbi, Paul, writing this letter, who understands the kingdom, and he's, and he's talking future tense here. He says, do you not know that we shall judge angels? 
Now, if you're ever wondering about a motivation why Satan would want to take you down, so it's not just jealousy and envy that he didn't get picked to rule and reign the material creation that God handed over, all authority, plenary authority, with one exception, to human beings. He's not just upset about that. He's also, that's the past tense. That's the past tense. We're talking in Genesis 1 and 2. That already happened, and Satan was furious. If you don't believe it, go read the second temptation of Christ when Satan takes Jesus to the top of the mountain, and he says, hey, you see all this? See all this, this earth? You see these nations of the earth? He said, I have the authority to hand it over to you. All you have to do is get down and worship me. Now, is there a motive for Satan to also want to take you down because of a future role that you have in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 6? Again, Paul's asking as if we should already know this. He's kind of gobsmacked that we don't know. He's shocked that we don't know. He says, do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? In other words, guys, handle this stuff amongst yourself within the church. Don't go to outsiders. You are going to, in verse 2, judge the world future tense, and you are also going to judge the angels. Maybe that's why Satan's working overtime to separate us from our kingdom, job, identities, and responsibilities. We've just started this, folks. Again, these are more biblical identities that you probably were never taught in church, but they're real. Hey, hope to see you next week. Hope you have a ton of Simple Truth moments. See you next week. Thank you for spending your time with us excavating God's Simple Truth moments. For more information and resources, visit simpletruthministries.net. That's simpletruthministries.net. To contact Simple Truth moments, email me at earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. That's earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. So until next time, may God richly reveal His Simple Truth Moments to you. You've been listening to Simple Truth Moments. Join Reverend Earl Clampett for another episode next Sunday at 11 a.m. right here on K-Praise. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.